All right, before we get started this podcast, are you really about to seriously sit here and tell me that that song isn't fire? That's all right. Go ahead. Say it. You're full of shit. I love that song. I forgot I liked that. That's a song that you forgot you liked. There's a lot of songs like that. I, I consider that my specialty. If there's one thing I'm good at in this life, it's remembering songs that we definitely used to like that for some reason we just forgot we liked um you're beautiful by james blunt comes to mind see this is really i mean literally my job i go to bars i play guitar and the art of playing music in a live setting when you're doing what i do like bar gigs like cover songs stuff like that primarily you don't just want to play the newest shit you also don't just want to play all the typical classics that everyone hears every time they go to the bar. What you want to do is find this like weird, uncanny valley of like unpopular, popular music. If that makes any sense. Like songs where we're like, oh shit. Who is this again? I used to bump this shit back in the day. It's like throwbacks, but not just for the sake of it being old. It's got to be like a good, like, whoa. And this is one of those. I heard this in a movie I was watching recently, a rom-com, obviously. And uh, they started bumping this. Go on, go on. And I was like, damn, I remember hearing this on the radio came out in 2000. The band was called The Coors. Uh, the lead singer woman, very Shania Twainy, I would say. I'm sorry I'm looking a little uncomfortable. I'm, I'm wearing these. These are my uh, in-ear monitors that I wear for gigs. And I, I've been thinking for a long time that I wanted to not have these big bulky headphones on when I do the show. Uh, but I also want to be able to hear myself and obviously the uh, the clips and stuff that I play. Um, so this is kind of where I landed wearing these in-ear monitors, which look profesh as fuck. I haven't looked at myself yet, but I can only imagine you guys are sitting here like, wow. I mean, can this guy get any more professional? <laughs> I mean, whoa. <laughs> That's what I imagine you're all thinking right now. Because that's what I'm thinking. Uh, but no, it, it's just kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a learning curve. I'm, I, I, I'm very persnickety and neurotic about like being able to move freely. And like the second a cord like just like catches something on my shirt, I'm like, fuck, fuck, the show is ruined. 
I wasn't able to turn my neck smoothly. It sounds a little different than I'm used to. Uh, but I think this is the move. I think this is what you're going to be seeing. I, 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 it really is important to me to not wear the big over-the-ear headphones. I know that those are like in style now. Don't even get me started on people wearing those things at the gym. There's no, there's zero functionality to over-the-head, over-the-ear headphones. There's no way you can justify that those are more practical than earbuds. I know this because we used to only have over-the-ear headphones up until like the early 2000s. When earbuds came out, it was revolutionary because it was this much more practical way to listen to whatever you're listening to on the go while doing other things. Now, this newer generation has completely thrown that by the wayside, this amazing new invention. And they said, no, I want to wear cool over-the-ear headphones. It's entirely aesthetic. It's entirely style. And you know how much I hate things that are just for style purposes only. I, I, it's hard for me to describe why I am so odious. I'm glad I got that word in here. <laughs> uh, why am I so odious? Why do I despise things that are just for fashion purposes? I'm not going to get into it entirely. But it just grinds my gears. You know, people that place a lot of uh, emphasis on looking cool. There are people vehemently disagree with me on this there's people that like their entire life is fashion and that's fine that's a different thing I think a lot of it though that gets me is the branding it's like people just can't wait to wear a logo on themselves to show like oh this is the thing that's in style I've never understood that I've never understood the even the concept of like this is in style basically when you say oh this is in style you're essentially saying oh everyone is doing this Okay. Why is my computer talk? Shut up! No problem. I won't. Who would you like to FaceTime with? Dude, what the fuck? Did my computer just like disobey me? Stop talking! Dude, that was weird. I don't know if you guys could hear that over the mic, but my computer! My computer's been hearing me talk a lot of shit about artificial intelligence recently. I know she was just dying to chime in. And she was like, would you like to FaceTime gym music or whatever? And I said, shut up! Because I treat my computer like, like shit. I almost have an abusive relationship with my computer. Um, and she said, no problem, I won't. What? Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? I am a human being. I have emotions. Ever heard of emotions? Fucking ain't got no emotions. Talking to me. I'm actually, I am, I am actually <laughs> a little pissed off that my computer just said that to me.
What the fuck is going on? Wow. I, 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 anyway, (laughs) I'm having trouble getting back on track. Modern technology has just thrown me for a loop. Completely derailed the show. Thank you, Apple. Thank you, $2,500 computer for fucking up my whole uh, rhythm. Um, anyway, it, it's essentially saying everyone's doing this. And to me, I've never been able to understand the appeal of that. Like what kind of person goes, oh, everyone's doing that? Then I better do it. It's like the ultimate like display of like conformity or like inability to think for yourself is I'm just going to pay attention to what everyone is wearing and how everyone is dressing and then dress like that. And that's considered like a good thing. That's considered something to strive for is to like always be up to date on the fashion. Obviously you don't want to be out of style because there's nothing more cringe than wearing something that's been out of that was in style and no longer is because that means that not only are you a conformist but you suck at it. <laughs> You're shitty at being shitty. That sucks. But if you just dress like yourself every day instead of constantly worrying what kind of cut of jeans people are wearing or what's the new hot shoe and oh are we doing over the ear headphones or in ear headphones this oh okay cool just let me know because god forbid i fucking do something that everyone else isn't doing that fits my lifestyle and my personality i don't get it i don't get it but anyway yeah we've moved to over the ear headphones back again kind of the same way with you know Somebody, like, we had the telegram. You could, like, text people. You're a bitch. And uh, then we invented this amazing technology called the telephone, where you could actually pick up a device and speak to someone, voice to voice, with, like, zero delay, like, across the planet. And then people did that for a while, and then we were like, nah, I kind of like that whole telegramming thing better. Fuck you, uh, Marconi. Fuck you, Alexander Graham Bell, whoever it was that invented the the telephone. We just want to type. I don't want to talk to these people. I just want to type. So, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh... Yeah, I, I think it's, I, for me, it's just like, I, I, you may have noticed, I, I don't want this to look like a podcast. This is not a podcast. I'm kind of like that, but I'm not a rapper meme, where the guy's like, I walk to the stove, I like that. Rap fire lyrics, I write that. That guy, but I'm not a rapper. I just want you guys to know I, I totally invented that. That was a freestyle. That was not a quote. That was a fire-ass freestyle. Um, I'm kind of like that with podcasting now. 
like LFTS podcast. Eric's in Hawaii right now. We are we are still going to bring the podcast back. He's just been a, a man about the globe. He's fucking Copernicus lately. Um, so when he returns from Honolulu, I guess maybe next week or the week after we'll bring it back. But that's the podcast. That's the podcast. I have these little fucking arm things here for the microphone, you know, like you see on Rogan and every other podcast. But you may have noticed here I have this thing. This is not a podcast thing. This is a show thing. Shows come from the table up. Podcasts come from the side. Podcast, show. Podcast, show. Yeah, man, that's crazy, man. And that's that's like the wild thing. It's so bizarre. Welcome back to the show. See the difference? See? So this is a show. And what show do you turn on where the guy is wearing big can headphones? You don't. Okay? So now you have it. 15 minutes into the show, several derailments later, I have clarified my headwear. (laughs) And now we may begin. Folks, happy Tuesday. Uh, Glad to be here as always. My name is Jimmy Selesky. This is LFTS Daily. Um, Not a, a wide variety of topics to talk about today. I primarily want to focus on I'd say one main thing, if that's okay, which I feel like is, is kind of something I, I do often, you know, I like to have three things I could talk about at least, but in general, if I only get to one, that's fine because I think this one issue, A, it's, it's, it's a major thing on my mind. And I, I think I think it's a pretty big deal. Um, first and foremost, uh, I'm a day late and a dollar short on this breaking news. Uh, but uh, this dude, Aaron Bushnell, he's the guy who lit himself on fire outside of the Israeli embassy in D.C., I think yesterday, um, over the... Uh, Israel-Palestine conflict, believe it or not. Did I have to say that? <laughs> Was anybody sitting there like, why? Um, yeah, and uh, I have not really addressed this subject at all. Um, and it's not by accident, but it's also not on purpose. I genuinely just don't have that much to say about it. I know a lot of cowards out there have a lot to say about it, um, but just don't because God forbid you state the wrong opinion. I kind of don't really have an opinion. I kind of don't think it's any of my business, which is kind of a novel-seeming take that you don't really hear that often anymore. 
which is, it's not really my business. I don't really have a hard line opinion either way. That's like not allowed now. I feel like it used to be allowed. I feel like social media made it not allowed. You need to have an opinion. And more so than that, you need to have the correct opinion about every issue. And we'll be quizzing you every month, every two months, when the new worst thing in the world changes. Uh, you have to immediately download into your brain which things you're supposed to be outraged about this month and regurgitate those online for social points and status. Uh, we've been seeing this for a while. I, I think the first evidence I ever saw of the, what was to come, the world we live in today, was all the way back in 2012. Now, some of you may remember this. Most of you that are at least in your mid-20s probably remember this. And that was the Coney 2012 video. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar, there was this viral video on YouTube about, I think it was, is it Joseph Coney or James Coney? I, I can't remember. Some like African warlord Coney, K-O-N-Y. Um, and, you know, it's just about like all the stuff he was doing, like, you know, child armies, uh, you know, sexual trafficking, famine, murder, rape, whatever. Like, just all the stuff that you, you've come to expect from that region of the world. Um, and people, for the first time, experienced what now is normal. See, now this is normal. But it was the first time in 2012 when I actually watched this happen where, where this video dropped talking about something that's going on and everyone just immediately not only became an expert on the subject in a matter of minutes, hours, but were extremely passionate about this thing that they had no idea was happening 10 minutes ago before they started the video. And so we kind of watched the first example of social media outrage take place. And part of me feels like that was a, like, ground zero. I don't know if it was done on purpose or perhaps people saw this video saw the effect it had on people and realized that this is an effective way to um, mobilize a cause. And that is by showing a bunch of uh, emotional uh, like arguments that appeal to people's like heart, like facts and stuff like that don't matter. Just show a bunch of images and talk about a bunch of stuff that's going to make people feel, you know, sad or whatever, um, or angry without any context and then, and then watch them mobilize. And I remember at the time people were kind of saying that they were like, this is, this is just like emotional porn. Like 
it's they're so clearly like trying to skew the story or embellish it and blah 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 blah. And people had like very sensible takes on it for the most part. My friends did at least. You know, they were like my friends were like even my friends who are now liberal and now do get mobilized by these type of things, they don't see it as the same thing anymore because we become no, nose blind to it, but I still see it as the same thing. Um, those same people 12 years ago with this Coney thing were saying, yeah, people are just like becoming outraged about this thing they have no idea about. Like this goes on all over the world. This video is about stuff that happened a year or two ago or whatever and all kinds of different things. You know, they're just appealing to your emotional side. There's no facts. There's no anything, blah, blah, blah. That was, that was a lot of people's takes because we weren't so immersed in that type of media at the time. We still had context of what real news and real journalism looked like. So because we actually still had some level of connection to like real stories and real arguments, real talking points, um, we were able to see more clearly that this Coney thing was not that. But over the years, we lost our frame of reference because we have almost been exclusively knocked over the head with Coney 2012 video after Coney 2012 video, metaphorically speaking, about every single issue. To the point where now people don't actually have um, any connection to what actual facts are supposed to sound like, what actual journalism really is. Activists have replaced journalists. Emotional talking points have replaced facts. Narrative and agenda have replaced reality. In every single issue, this is the case. And as it pertains to the Israel-Palestine conflict, I don't know who to believe anymore. Now, I know that the conservatives tend to lean more pro-Israel, and I know that liberals tend to lean more pro-Palestine. Conservatives like Ben Shapiro annoy me with their pro-Israelism, or whatever you want to call it. I don't feel like Ben is a very objective source on that. I feel like Jen, I mean, sorry, Ben, you can see where I'm going with this. I feel like Ben is very unapologetically Jewish first, American second, and that's fine. Not saying there's anything wrong with, you know, that's God, country, family, right? That's the thing. God always comes first. So religion comes first. Fine. You're a Jew first. You're an American second. Hey, 
I'm a Christian first, I'm an American second. Okay? That's fine. Um, but when you run a political news show where the majority of your listenership is not Jewish, I would imagine, um, those are the topics, these are the topics that w you kind of lose me. Not that I don't agree with most of what Ben says on this topic, but he loses me a little because I do get very irritated with this insinuation that you see all the time that any criticism of Israel or how they're handling the situation is anti-Semitism. I hate that. And especially coming from a person like Ben, who has made a career off of this facts don't care about your feelings uh, mantra, which again, I agree with, um, how he will, with no hesitation at all, call out another group of people, be it you know, a racial group or a sexual orientation or a gender or whatever. He will call them out. He'll state the facts. And he would say that, look, me citing, I don't know, um, that suicide rates in the trans community are what they are and higher than Jews during um, uh, the Holocaust. That's not transphobic. That's just a fact. Um, me citing that Black people are vastly overrepresented in crime. It's not racist. That's just a fact. A fact can't be racist. Reality can't be racist. Unless, of course, you're AI. But if you were to point out anything in regards to Israel or Judaism, maybe point out certain things that Jewish people happen to be overrepresented in or point out how Israel's handling this conflict. Maybe you disagree with something. Uh, there are a lot of people, Ben included, that will immediately, uh, immediately categorize you as anti-Semitic. And, and that particularly annoys me because this is the exact type of... Um, plan of attack that we see coming from the left all the time. If you have questions about the vaccine, you're an anti-vaxxer. There is no room for debate. You, you can simply not say anything about the vaccine other than everything you're supposed to say. There is no middle ground. You're just either 100% with us or 100% against us. If you have any questions or thoughts about climate change that aren't in 100% lockstep with the narrative, you're a climate denier. You are denying the climate. Oh, climate? Yeah, right. <laughs> climate, I'll believe it when I see it. Climate? Sure. I'm sure there's a climate. Are you denying the climate? Yeah, that's what I am. I'm a climate denier. Okay. Um, everything. You know, if you, if you, if you uh, believe that life begins at conception and not at the subjective whim of the woman carrying the child. That's anti-woman. That's not a debate over when life begins and what rights does the unborn child have. 
It's simply you can't stand to see a woman make a decision for herself, and that's all it can be. There is no middle ground. And I could go on and on. And in some days, I might. But Tuesdays, I like to keep it to a few examples. A few's days. So when I see that line of attack employed from the conservative side, I find it very hypocritical, particularly coming from a person like Ben, who is like one of the main front men of that whole, you know, thing. Um, That being said, I also find myself extremely annoyed and distrustful of most of the proponents on the pro-Palestine side because I think they're full of shit too. Maybe even more. I couldn't help but notice that the same people, the exact same people that were convincing us that we have a massive systemic racist police force in this country that is targeting black people, black men, arresting them for no reason, killing unarmed men for no reason, just because they're just, just for fun or whatever it is, just because they can. And that's this massive epidemic and we need to reduce the police forces. We need to defund the police. We need to do all- I couldn't help but notice that those are the exact same people in my timeline that are telling me that what's going on in Israel is a genocide. I just, it's like a one-to-one correlation. There are people that have legitimately no fucking clue any more than I do about what's going on. But they have a default setting and that default setting is who's less white? That's whose side I'm on. That, I mean, I, I, I really genuinely see it that for a lot of people, they are so literally black and white when it comes to issues that when they come across any type of conflict anywhere, their default setting is, well, okay, who's playing the role of colonizer? Who's playing the role of the oppressed? So clearly the Jews must be in the wrong and clearly the Palestinians must be innocent bystanders to a genocide. I don't think so. I think the answer is probably somewhere in between. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is a genocide. Or maybe you're wrong. They're wrong. Um, And maybe this is just a very justified conflict between a sovereign state and an extremist uh, group that is widely supported by the Palestinians. Like, 
if you look at some of these studies, it's like insane. Like in the West Bank, like something like 84% of people support the October 7th thing. It's like, that's not a good look for PR, Palestinians. Like you're supposed to, you're supposed to say you didn't like it. Like even the conservatives know you're not supposed to say January 6th was a good thing. And, and, and January 6th was just a fucking, uh, uh, a wandering party at the Capitol for the most part, um, much less a terrorist attack, armed attack on innocent civilians. And you guys are like, yeah, I mean, I, I see where they're coming from. I, I get, I'm down with it. Like, that's not a good look when 80% of your population is in support of that. Um, so like I said, there's a lot of things going on over there that I do not feel as if I am informed enough to come out one way or the other and say that Israelis are patently wrong or the Palestinians are patently wrong. I don't know. That's your fucking business. But I got in kind of an Instagram debate with a friend. Um... And she is constantly posting, you know, stuff about pro-Palestine, free Palestine, all this shit. And, uh, I mean, it, like, nonstop, incessantly. And one of the things she posted was this quote. And when I say quote, I mean quote uh, by this... I guess, I think he's like the creative director of the New York Times or something, but he's just like a, I don't know, he's just a fucking personality on the internet. Joel Leon, waiting for this to load up. God forbid it loads up. Holy shit. Um, here we go. So here's what we're looking at here. It says, a young man set himself on fire, and if the question you're asking is why he did it and not why we have created a world in which someone would feel like they need to do that in order to send a message, you are asking the wrong question. Uh, oh, hold up. Before I quote Joel Leone, just for context, um, and, and he lets you know that in his name, he is Joel Leone. His username is I am. Joel Leone. Hey, see that quote there? That's by me. Just making sure I put my name in the bottom of that quote. And then on the next slide, not the first slide, then there's the post for Aaron Bushnell with this wonderfully flattering picture where he doesn't at all look like he's someone who is liable to let himself on fire. Um, that's the second post. The main point of this post is, of course, that you see this quote that Joel Leone made up. Um, and quoted himself and then made sure of it in his Instagram name that in case you were wondering who this Joel Leone is that, that wrote this amazing quote, um, I am Joel Leone. So, you know, don't forget about me. Um, oh, oh, and my favorite thing, the caption, no words. No words. 
I find that particularly hilarious since this post is literally 100% words. It is a giant block of text. And then the caption is no words. No words except for the one, two, three, four, five, six, 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 call it 50 there and oh, a lot more here. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, no words except for the 120 words in this Instagram post, which is like 120 more than the average Instagram post. The average Instagram picture is a picture, maybe a couple words like somebody's name or like a small quote or something. Usually not by the person, who, usually not a quote by the person who posted the quote. And it just stuck out to me as like, I just got my douche senses were tingling. And I don't know this guy. Um, but it just screamed like, you see things like this where I'm going through his Instagram and it's, I would say, what, 75% quotes? His own quotes. They're all his own quotes. So this guy just cooks up bars every day about activism for whatever policy it is. And, 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 and if you notice, uh, this is all the way back on, so this post is, this is October 26th. So we're flirting with right around October 7th. This is October 23rd. Let's go down a little bit. Let's see what this is. This is October 13th. What I did notice looking around here is not really anything about the Palestinians or the conflict in Israel uh, up until October 7th, which, okay, cool. It wasn't a major... It wasn't a major issue until October 7th, but... Um, you'll notice with, with these types that they immediately jump on board with a, an issue. They, it's kind of like, they're basically, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're basically outrage surfers surfers they surf the waves of out outrage they're looking to catch the biggest wave because these people this guy again if you look at his let's go to the top i mean he, this guy must post like i want to say eight eight times a day holy shit I, I i'm like trying to get to the top of his page i can't um the pronouns in the bio is a given i don't even need to mention that um yeah i don't I saw somewhere it says like he's a creative something at New York Times. I don't fucking know. I don't know. I feel like when you're this type of person, you just you just work everywhere um and 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 write articles for everybody and that's just that's that's what you do. And it's a professional activist essentially. And this is a type of media that that people are consuming when they hear about what's going on in Palestine they hear some nonsensical if your first question is why did he do it yeah that's everyone's question dude 
Sorry. When a dude lights himself on fire, the question you had when you heard that story was, why did he light himself on fire? That's not something people typically do in any situation on purpose. But apparently the real question we should be asking is, why have we created a world where someone feels like they have to do this? Um, I don't think we have. I think you and people like you have created a world where people feel like they have to do this. Because the professional activist can only survive if there is something to be an activist about. Much like politicians. See, politicians that, let's say you're, you're the party for the, the working class, the, the disenfranchised, the oppressed, whatever. Well, you need votes, right? And you get your votes by promising people that are impoverished, and discriminated against and constantly getting the short end of the stick that if you vote for them, you're going to get them out of that situation. Well, guess what? If you actually did get them out of that situation, then you don't have a voting base anymore. If you are the party of the oppressed, then you need an oppressed class to serve or else you are obsolete. In similar fashion, if you are a professional activist, you do not dream of a world where there are no more issues to activize, to ride the wave of. And and you dream of a world where there are bigger issues in which you are a bigger face of. You are a more leading voice in this issue. You need issues. You thrive off of public grievance. You can't go online and say, hey guys, actually things are looking good today. Not much to talk about today. I mean, yeah, there's still stuff going on, but like things are looking up. No, you can't do that. You need to get on every day and young black women don't even know what it's like to exist just to breathe without feeling as if they can't have to. What? Just every day. Quote Joel Leon. Who said that? I must know who said that. It's not important enough to just get the message out. It's, it's very important that I know who said this thing. I don't even know what they're referring to because it's not until the second slide that you get to the actual thing that he's talking about. The important thing is that you know what his amazing poetic quote is, this saying nothing while using a lot of words gobbledygook quote that he's able to churn seven or ten out a day, apparently. That's what's important. And you see this all the time. You saw it with that guy, DeRay McKesson, after the Freddie Gray things in Baltimore, right here in Baltimore. You saw um, how people rode that wave during COVID. There was this one guy on Twitter whose like entire personality became like the death counter guy. So like, 
You know, once COVID was the big thing when it first popped off, every day he's tweeting this many deaths today, blah, blah, blah. And then people started following because that was like the thing to do. Like, oh, now we get to see how many deaths. And that became his whole thing. I don't know what that guy's doing now. Definitely not getting as many engagements as he was in in, uh, April, May 2020. He needed that. He needed COVID. And unless he found something else to latch on to as his next thing to ride the wave of, he's obsolete. You know, you have the classic examples of the, the, uh, the woman who, who runs Black Lives Matter, like the actual official organization Black Lives Matter, because people forget Black Lives Matter is not simply a, a quote or a mantra or uh, a, a mentality. It's a, a physical private organization where people work and organize things and make money, enough money to buy massive estates and private jets and all kinds of things off of donations um, that you would imagine would be going towards helping the black community. Well, I guess they did go to helping the black community. Just very specifically, this one woman who happens to be black has been helped out a lot by Black Lives Matter. And that seems to be what you, what you see when you deal with professional activists. Now, I don't know much about this Joel guy. Maybe he's not like that. But there is a type of person who senses a wave they can ride and then boards up and surfs it and makes their entire, okay, oh shit, I'm, uh, this Palestine thing just popped off. I'm going to ditch the whole like black empowerment thing for a little bit and just jump 100% on board. I'm the Palestine guy now. I'm the free Palestine guy now. And, and pe- more and more people are liking my shit. More, and now I'm the voice. I'm slowly becoming a voice in this thing. And, and, and the, more, the more attention you get, the more power you get, the more you are motivated to amp up the conversation because you realize that your livelihood, your lifespan is directly tied in contact to how long people give a shit about this thing. They are the contributors to a world. But those people that thrive, their entire livelihood is dependent on stoking fear and emotion and controversy at any cost, completely misrepresenting their side, completely misrepresenting the opposition. Maybe they don't even know they're misrepresenting it, but they are completely non-objective observers. They're not journalists. This is not an objective observer of the conflict. And this is not just as it pertains to Israel-Palestine. This is not just as it pertains to this individual guy. This is all these types of people. We have mistaken activists for journalists. That's not an activist's job. Being a professional activist is a legitimate thing, a career. Google it. I did today. Type in professional activist, and you will see all kinds of articles about how to become one, what they are, how it works. It's a real thing. There are people that's entire job, the same way your job is to go into work and send emails, or this guy's job is to, you know, uh, uh, 
make parts at a factory, certain people's job is to every day wake up and be some type of voice for some type of social cause. And that's how they make a living. So if you're talking about a person whose entire job is to express a grievance about something wrong with the world at any given moment on any given day, then you can bet that every day their number one priority is to find that thing, anything, and amplify it to a level that's going to get them clicks, get them attention, and validate their existence, justify their existence, I should say. And so those people pumping out this sensationalized, non-objective, misinformed, disinformed content on a daily basis because that's what their job is. And then other people that don't understand that dynamic, don't understand that's what's going on, they confuse this content with, with objective journalism. And oh my God. There are people that are completely neutral covering these stories, and this is what we're seeing? This is how one-sided it is? That we have these completely neutral, trained, objective journalists that are going there to portray this issue, and this is what they're, we're finding? Completely neutrally? And it's really this one-sided? How could anyone disagree with me? They don't understand that they're only see I'm talking about the people that consume this professional activist content. They don't even understand that what they're seeing is not a neutral, objective portrayal of the issue. So they assume that everyone is seeing the same thing they're seeing, but there's just some evil assholes out there that just suck so much that they're like yeah i mean i'm of course seeing that palestinians are just being killed for no reason every day by the jews while they're just trying to exist and live their lives and not in any way aggressing or participating in the fight or harboring terror and, and we're just like yeah but who gives a fuck dude who gives a fuck and they're like how could you be so cold we all see what's going on here we all see this completely one-sided attack on one side, but yet some of you don't care. And it's like, well, have you considered that some of us um, disagree with your characterization of the conflict? Some of us don't agree that this is a genocide. Some of us think this is more akin to a war or a violent conflict, whatever you want to call it. And that is not the same thing as a genocide. And some of us also feel like we're not in a position to uh, be vocal about something that we don't truly understand and that there are people in much better positions to speak on these issues that should be amplified and not me who's simply just going to parrot off any second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh hand information that I come across and, and uh, co-op that as my own opinion. So now you just have a bunch of people parroting and regurgitating opinions that they don't even know. They, they're not even their own opinions. They're just 
the opinions given to them by someone else, and they actually have no objective frame of reference to know if these opinions are, are, are true or not. But they're still pushing them nonstop. And so what happens if they're wrong? I got in debate and, and, and she said, you know, I, I obviously don't have, I, 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 I don't have a ton of respect for people that just, you know, repeat whatever they hear, but I have even less respect for people that are silent. And I was like, uh, I disagree. I have immensely more respect for people that mind their own business if it's not an issue they can speak to than I do for people who just simply repeat the quote unquote right opinion for social points to make themselves look better when they actually have no idea what the truth is. So in reality, they could be repeating and parroting something that's completely wrong and then therefore undermining the truth, actively hurting people by pushing nonsense because it's the stylish opinion to have. It's the cool opinion to have when you're drinking with your friends and somebody brings it to the topic. You go, oh yeah, I mean, seriously, I mean, the free Palestine, right? And, and that's like the cool, you know, cocktails with the girl's opinion to have. You don't want to be the guy who doesn't say that. That's not cool, man. Again, I'm not saying I'm pro-Israel. I'm just saying, if you ask me, I'll be honest and say, dude, you know what? It's on the other side of the fucking globe. I'm worried about trying to pay rent this month. I'm worried about moving. I'm worried about trying to get more than fucking single digit views on average for my daily show. I'm worried about trying to like pay off my credit card debt. I'm worried about trying to make something out of my fucking life. I'm worried about trying. I'm worried about a lot of fucking shit. I'm worried about fucking domestic problems like, you know, uh, everything we have going on in this country alone. I can sympathize I can be respectful, but for me to sit here and, and lie and say that I genuinely care, I won't do it. I won't do it because what the average person is going to do is they're going to sit here and say, I care. And when they say they care, they mean what they really mean to say is I recognize that this is something that should be cared about. What they don't mean is that they genuinely care. Like when somebody crashes into your car and you have to figure out their insurance and you're back and forth with your insurance, back and forth trying to get that figured out, that's something you care about. When your girlfriend breaks up with you, you care about that. When your mother dies, you care. Your kid is sick, you care. You get laid off from your job, you care. That's caring. You don't fucking care, you liar. You don't. You're going to sit here and try to make me look like a cold, evil person for simply being honest and saying, hey, I recognize this is a shitty situation, but I'm one human being on the other side of the fucking planet, and I simply don't have the amount of care in my body to truly sit here and say that I genuinely care. I wish them the best. Whatever it is they need to figure out, I hope they do it. But no, I do not particularly have an opinion. And I think that makes me a more responsible person than the person who also doesn't have an opinion, 
but believes they should and therefore just repeats someone else's opinion. And that's just the truth. I mean, I'm sorry. I could edit that out and I won't because it's the truth. The difference is these activists, these professional activists, I I just get, I get physically skeeved out by these types. There was a guy here in Baltimore, I'm not even going to give him the, 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 you know, the honor of saying his fucking name. He's an artist around here. We got in a big, unfortunately, public dispute around this time last year during the bar bracket. And he's, you know, his whole thing is like, you know, don't eat Atlas and all this stuff. And you notice these commonalities and the commonalities are like, he's an artist. He's constantly posting about how great of a person he is. In fact, if you know what I'm talking about, you could probably still go on his page and he still has an entire like Instagram story highlights thing. You know how they have that, like the highlight story highlights. I think he has an entire one dedicated to this podcast, LFTS podcast, just of like all the shit trash he talked over the course of those like three days when we got in an argument about uh atlas at last i checked he's blocked us since so i can't see him he's blocked me on everything but um which i i consider a w because i think he was trying to get me to block him and i was like i don't fucking care he was definitely trying to get me to reply uh and i just didn't i was just like i just let him fucking honestly just kind of make himself look like a fucking wacko like insane person unhinged comes to mind um but he was that exact type that type of person whose entire online persona is constantly talking about how everyone else is constantly doing something wrong there's this type of injustice happening over here and this person doesn't hire this type of people and this person's stealing that person's art and these type of people need to fucking die and blah blah blah. and it's all about how everyone else basically sucks except for him and he's this amazing fucking guy apparently by comparison i mean he he, he has a problem with literally almost everybody he even brags about how he embraces the chaos or whatever and then he he has this whole like don't eat Atlas thing, which is like, um, you know, and of course, uh, well, yeah, they're free, but you can also make donations. Like he doesn't realize, or he hasn't already thought about the fact that you could either charge fifty cents for a sticker, which is what they're worth, or you could open it up to donations, and you know, every single person that gets one of those is going to toss you at least a dollar, if not five, if not 10, if not a hundred, because they support the cause, because they're also goody two shoes, uh, you know, the, the popular unpopular opinion as to say the opinion that's supposedly anti, you know, anti like conformist, but in reality, it's the popular opinion to have the popular unpopular opinion is fuck Atlas, dude, blah, 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 they're gentrifying, blah, blah, blah. Again, regardless of what you think, those people are going to support this guy for making the stickers. They're going to toss him well more than what those stickers are worth. So that guy could have, if he would have sold them for what they're actually worth and turned like a normal amount of a profit margin, he would have made, you know, a thousand bucks maybe. Instead, he's probably making a couple thousand bucks off that whole issue if he sells through all of those. And so once again, he's latched onto a fucking... Uh, cause made himself the forefront of it 
and is now finding a way to profit off of it. Also finding a way to build his brand as a result. So his entire brand is being built upon beefing with other businesses in Baltimore specifically. And that's his, that's how he props himself up. It's the literal definition of a bully, first of all. But second of all, I get that same vibe when I see other people like that too, because it's a common type of thing. Everyone that I've ever met that spends a significant amount of time posturing themselves as a quote-unquote good person or is constantly discussing how shitty everyone else is, those are the worst people I know. They are genuinely the worst people I know. They are self-serving. They are narcissists. They are self-indulgent. So when I see someone whose online presence is all about how much they, I care just so much. My heart hurts when I see the, uh, oh my goodness, we need a change. We need a change. They're full of fucking shit, all right? Anybody who spends 100% of their social media presence making themselves look like a great person, they're probably not a great person, Okay. I spend about 85% of my social media presence presenting myself like a fucking jerk. And I'm a pretty cool dude in real life, believe it or not. So, you know, that's the difference. Fucking makes me sick, these fucking people. Anyway, before I absolutely lose it, I'm noticing a theme here, and that theme is that Tuesdays tend to be when I really, when I really let loose, Mondays are chill. Tuesdays are like, Jesus Christ, dude, calm down. There's still, there's still three more days of the week left. I don't know if you're going to make it <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, last thing of the day, a little rook look for you. Not much to say tonight. Unfortunately, there are no college basketball boosts. There is one boost that I came across on MGM. It's a 33% NBA boost. And, uh, chilly enough, uh, arguably the best game tonight, the Mavericks at the Cavs, um, is the pick I have for you. And that pick is Cavaliers minus four and a half. Um, my model has them as eight point favorites. I'm still working out my model, but I mean, you know, I, I take that as it, it, it means something. Um, and then also you throw in the fact that um, Dante Exum, who's like a, a six-man guy for the Mavericks, is out tonight. And um, the Cavs don't really seem to have any uh, major or any injuries at all that I'm aware of. So, I mean, all arrows to me point towards the Cavaliers. I'm trying to pull up the line to see what it is right now on MGM, but my phone fucking sucks. I got a software up update, and I'm convinced that software updates um literally just uh, correct me if i'm wrong this may have been a thing at least for apple but like apple has been like widely known for a uh, planned obsolescence or planned obsolescence wherever it is where like they actually program it into their um like hardware or whatever into their computers and phones and stuff that like after a certain amount of time it just the battery life plummets and 
it just starts being slower and glitchy and everything so that you almost have to get a new computer or iPhones. It's literally not in a good business model to make a product that lasts forever. What, you're going to buy one computer, one iPhone, and then that's going to be your phone for the rest of your life? Kind of the same thing with pharmaceutical companies. It's like, why would we make a pill that we can only sell you one and it cures your disease? Why wouldn't we instead give you a lifetime prescription to a pill? So I feel like it was something that had to do with the, uh, um, what's it called? The software updates where like you would update your software and like there was literally something in there that like the new software, when it hit the old hardware, the old computer or the old phone would like fuck with it on purpose to make it perform worse. And so that over time, after enough software updates, uh, you would just be dying to have a new phone because you just could not deal with your fucking current phone. Um, that's definitely a thing. So I'm noticing my phone is notably acting shittier right now and it's pissing me the fuck off. And uh, I did just get a software update last night. No, I don't have Apple for my phone. That's the one piece of technology I don't use Apple for. But Because I, I, people ask me, why don't you have an iPhone? And I say, because fuck you. That's why. I want you to cringe when you see my green text. That's right. Fuck you. Maybe I'll get one though. Who knows? Um, yeah. Cleveland Cavaliers minus four and a half. It's currently still sitting at minus four and a half on DraftKings. 33% uh, boost should put you up to like, I don't know, plus 120, something like that. Um, so that's pretty sweet. Fun game. On at seven, two good teams. Should be cool. Um, we did cover, uh, we went one and one last night. Um, for our picks, we had, uh, Kansas state minus nine and a half. They were winning by 26, I believe 25 or 26, like halfway through the second half or something. At some point in the game, they were up 26 as late as 10 minutes left in the game. They were up by at least 20, 21 something like that, or in the high teens, and West Virginia came all the way back, got it into overtime, and then proceeded to lose by like four. The, the, crumble, the fall apart, the breakdown in college basketball is unlike any other sport. The amount of times that I have bet on a team to like cover a certain spread and they could go into the half up like literally 15, 20 points. Sometimes it'll be for a team where I took a plus line. Like I, I would have a team at like plus seven and a half and they're up 20. So in reality, I'm up 27 and a half and they still in the second half find a way to fucking lose and not cover. Not just lose, but not even cover the plus seven and a half. That's happened to me multiple times. Oddly enough, what never seems to happen is when I take a team and they are down majorly and it looks like I'm going to lose my bet and then all of a sudden uh, they come back with a vengeance and cover at the end of the game. That never happens. The thing you'll notice most in gambling is um, a game that you're going to win never ends and a game that you're going to lose is over from the jump. Like every bet that you're going to, that you, you, that sucks that you're just like, this game's fucking over. You know, you've lost by like the first quarter. So it's, you can't even enjoy watching the game. 
because it's just like blatant blowout. It's just over. As soon as tip-off happens, kick-off, it's over. If it's a bet that you could win, a winning bet, the bets that wind up winning, triple overtime. How how often do you just get a fucking just easy as pie just from start to finish the team plays great that you bet on and it's just perfect? I feel like that's happened to me four times in my life and I've probably placed upwards of of 6,000, 7,000 bets in the past year. I don't know what that is. It's definitely a psychological thing, but it's it's interesting. But anyway, yeah, Kansas State did not cover. Um, however, Baylor did. Baylor smacked TCU. We had them plus two and a half. We should have just taken the money line. I think they won by like 9, 10, 12, something like that. Um, so because these were both boosted bets, 50-50, one and one means we profited. So we lost a unit for the K-State bet. And we made, I think, I think we got the Baylor boost at like plus 138 or something. So, you know, plus 1.38 units, minus one unit. That's a 0.38 unit profit. Tack that onto our running um, yield, which is currently at 261. Tack on another 0.38. We are at 2.99 units in the positive, folks. 2.99 in the black. That's almost three. Woohoo! So we're looking good. The Rook is always looking good, baby. You got to ride with the Rook. So go Cavs tonight, minus four and a half on MGM with that 33% NBA boost. Till tomorrow, folks. Peace.